And next tonight, imagine something, something, something different. Hi everyone, welcome to the Electoral Board Data and Field Training, um, which is brought to you by the, our DSA comrade, Avery Yu, um, who you all know. Um, and as many of you also know, um, DSASF is gonna be running a slate of ballot measures or propositions in November, 2022, um, in order to agitate and win socialist demands for the working class in San Francisco, while also critically sort of for internally we wanted to build the chapter's electoral capacity going forward in terms of um, getting everyone or everyone who's interested in electoral organizing sort of trained up with necessary campaign skills and experience so that going forward we can keep sort of doing our own homegrown DSA measures and candidates and not really relying on outside sources or trying to jump on to other people's stuff but really just run our own campaigns. So um, part of that is um, doing this, this ballot slate uh, priority. And we have different committees and there's like the fundraising committee, which is having some stuff coming up. There's research, which has been doing work already on discussing the different measures we might do, but then also outreach. And this is sort of um, an outreach committee specific uh, meeting tonight because field is like the, the main job of what outreach will be doing in addition to just literally reaching out to people, but how to know who to reach out to and what to say to them and who you want to target and all of that is what this presentation is all about. Um, we're talking about field today and sort of interpreting data from Van and coming up with a strategy to figure out the electoral universe we're trying to target. And um, yeah, Avery's gonna get more into it and show us how to use to use Van and how to, you know, start using these skills that we're gonna need for the upcoming campaign. So with that being said, I'm gonna start sharing my screen and then Avery's gonna who's gonna take it away with her presentation. Thanks so much, Gwen. Um, and yeah, no, I just want to say for those of you who haven't met me yet, I'm Avery. Um, I got involved through uh, Dean Preston's campaign. I was his field director um, and worked on his previous campaign in 2016 um, when he almost made it so close, but it was all part of the movement in the, in the larger sense of things. Um, and I'm really excited to do this presentation because I really love all things field. Um, and now I, so I worked with Dean in City Hall and then um, Jen Snyder is one of the founding members of the organization. Um, and I started our own consulting firm called Redbridge Strategies, returning to our love of helping socialist candidates and ballot measures across California and maybe someday beyond um, win. And um, we want to share all of our knowledge with all of you. And I think that my not so secret desire of 
doing this training is to organize myself out of a job because that's how I was trained. Um, I think the best organizer you can be is if you um, delegate all your work in such a way where you're on the beach sipping a pina colada. And so if anyone is interested in any of this, um, is interested in maybe being a field director or learning more about van, um, or really wants to get into the weeds, please reach out to me. Um, there's much more to share here. Um, and I think just in terms of this presentation, I wanted to go over, you know, what field is, um, some of the methodology that we use when we're at the very beginning stages of campaigns to kind of sketch out what we're working with, um, including how to build a field plan, kind of the difference between running, say, a supervisor race where you really can knock on every door versus a citywide race when you have to make some really crucial strategic decisions. Um, and again, like I was saying, I mean, I would love to go into a more in-depth van tutorial, but this will not be that. Um, this is just scratching the surface. Um, and so in terms of methods, I just wanted to, before we even start, kind of go over what field is. Um, I think my conception of it is two things. Um, one is identifying voters through, I think, what we all kind of conceptualize field to be, which is door knocking, calling voters on the phone, texting them, any kind of direct engagement where you're persuading someone and you're getting you know, confirmation that they're going to support the thing or not that you're out there canvassing for. Um, and the other, the other method is just creating visibility through, I think many of you have experienced this with some of the past ballot measures that we've done as a chapter, but for example, Prop F of just blanketing the district um, with lit drops, which is, you know, a way to you know, reach out to the most voters that you possibly can um, without having to talk to every single one of them. Um, window signs kind of have the same impact as well, um, but just in terms of thinking about a citywide, a citywide campaign where you can't talk to absolutely everyone, how are you going to get your message out to as many people as possible? And then this here, um, just in terms of the, the electorate, this is sort of um, the way that one of my mentors explained it to me, um, but you can kind of think of your, the voters that you would potentially talk to as either being likely voters where they are going to vote no matter what, um, you can't stop them from voting, they're going to do it. And so your options are to either, you know, your, your main option is just to persuade them of your message. Um, and the other kind of main bucket of this is your unlikely voters who I think unfortunately for many of us who, you know, believe in socialism, you know, might be tenant organizers, all of that. Um, I know we come across many people who are unlikely voters, but if we could just get them to turn out, if we could just get them to show up at the polls, they are completely on our side. They love our message, um, but they are not as likely to vote. Um, and then that also brings me to when, we'll, when we look through Van and we look through the numbers and possible composition of this year's electorate, you know, just the people that we're not even going to reach out to, such as Republicans, um, potentially people, hopefully we'll have separate programs for them, but potentially people who um, speak another language, all those types of things. There are certain people that we 
will not be included in our field program. And I'll go into that a bit more soon. And so this is kind of an extension of that, but I think that it's really important to think about what your goal is for your field program, whether it's just, I know there are many campaigns that, you know, are more conservative that actually want there to be an electorate with low turnout because that benefits them because it's the people who have, you know, the most money, who are the most well-educated, who have all of the resources that they need to vote and already have their minds made up. I think progressive campaigns usually thrive um, in the past on much higher turnout. And so the more people we can turn out, usually the more progressive the electorate is. And so that brings me to, you know, your, your options are either targeting the people that you know who are going to show up or to try to change the composition of the electorate by bringing people out who do not historically vote, who might be more unlikely to vote. I know that um, on Dean's campaign, we always um, would joke that Dean voters were procrastinators. It was sort of the person who would, you know, I mean, I had knocked on many doors where someone would open the door carrying a bong and I'm like, this is gonna be a Dean voter. <laughs> um, but just thinking about that in terms of your likely universe of people that will be in the electorate as either being likely voters or potentially less likely voters who you think are just so worth it to turn out because either they're very progressive renters, maybe it's a certain age group, maybe it's a certain neighborhood, but within your cause, it is an important part of the electorate for you to turn out for your campaign. Um, and again, this is not black or white. I think that many, 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 many campaigns are somewhat of a combination of that. So thinking about that as we, as we go through um, this presentation. Okay, and that brings me to building a field program. So I wanted to talk a little bit just about how I have kind of conceptualized campaigns that I've worked on in the past um, and what it kind of looks like when you're in the planning process of a campaign and you're thinking, what the hell do we do now? How do we figure out the lay of the land? How do we strategize about who are, who are the voters that we wanna target? Um, and so the way that I've done this is pretty systematic. Um, it starts with looking at past elections. And so this is looking back historically and trying to think if there are existing elections, which ones are most similar to the one in question that is coming up. And from that, projecting turnout um, and trying to figure out what your best estimation is of who will turn out in this election based on what has happened in the past. And we can talk a little bit more about the factors that go into that and how, you know, for example, I think in a, you know, post-Trump era, perhaps looking before 2016 is not the best indicator of what turnout will be because I know that in general, when you look back at some of those past elections, turnout is just so incredibly low. And I think in some ways, you know, maybe people's attitudes about voting have changed 
We can theorize about why all that is, but that's something to keep in mind as we're kind of predicting what we think is gonna happen. Um, and again, projecting that turnout is to figure out, you know, once you have your likely universe of who you think is gonna vote, you can then go back and look at the composition of the group of voters that you've created and kind of see what you're working with. See, you know, how many homeowners you have, how many renters you have, how many, you know, people who are declined to state, who are registered as Democrats, whatever it is, and then be working with something that is more useful than just looking at every registered voter in say San Francisco, which is very unhelpful because you have no idea if those people are actually gonna vote. And you have no idea if you are, you know, using volunteer resources effectively um, when you're going door to door. And again, um, I will walk through, I'll do a little demo in van of what it looks like to create a very basic um, likely universe. And so we can talk about sort of what goes into that methodology. Um, you know, it's, it's usually something along the lines of figuring out a, a system of if a voter voted in say, you know, November of 2020 and one out of three of the last three elections or whatever it is that you want to, whatever it is that you decide collectively makes the most sense. And then trying to make that number match what your projected turnout is. Um, and then I'll go into a little bit about um, figuring out your win number um, and also your ID goal. And again, this is um, for, for smaller races, like for supervisors races, you have a specific number um, of IDs that you need to get. And that's people saying, you know, yes, I will vote for your candidate. Um, but in a, in a citywide race, we'll be looking more at just your win number and figuring out the best plan with volunteer resources to reach as many as people, people as possible because it's just simply impossible to, to talk to everyone. Um, and then the last thing I'll go into is a little bit about different field programs. And I know that we're all coming up on doing a ballot measure. And so potentially what some of those programs could look like and some of the ones that we've done in the past. So like I said, um, the first place that I start is getting a sense of what we're looking at when it comes to turnout. And this is again, based on the past most similar elections. And so I wanted this to be as useful as possible. And since I know we have a ballot measure on the horizon, um, I wanted to do an example using November, 2022 and kind of do some back of the envelope math on trying to figure out what we might expect from that. And so, like I said, it's based on the past most similar elections. And so I think just if everyone wants to think through what they think, what do you think is the most similar election to um, November, 2022? I suppose November, 2018 might be one I'd look at. Yeah. Yeah, midterm election. Totally. 
And that's, you know, I mean, we could look back at November 2020, but since that was a presidential year, obviously that's going to be astronomical turnout. We're probably going to project way too high. People were there, um, you know, voting Trump out of office, holding their nose and voting for Joe Biden, whatever it is that people did. Um, but um, I think, yeah, November 2018 is probably the most similar election that I could see. Um, I think that it's important to go back and kind of look at, you know, any other elections that could be similar. I mean, one of them is 2014, but as I was saying before, I think that the world pre-2016 was just a very different place. And in some ways that feels like, you know, an outdated election to look at. Um, but that's something to keep into keep in mind. Um, the other thing is post-COVID, some sort of like factors to consider is, you know, we moved to all mail-in elections. That has changed our sort of concept of voting in some ways. Um, and then the other thing that I would, I would just mention, I agree, to, I think 2018 is sort of our closest, most similar election. But the thing to, to consider about that is specifically in San Francisco, we had a very hotly contested mayor's race. Um, we just had a lot going on on that ballot that I'm not sure that we will see again this November. Um, so just, just a few differences between 2018 and 2020. Does anyone know the number of registered voters in San Francisco? I wanna do a quick search. Pop quiz. That's pretty close. I see 600K in the, in the chat. I have from the Department of Elections, I have 504,667. And like I said, for, so I did a little digging into this, the, in the most recent election in November, 2018, which we talked about being the most similar one, turnout was around 75%, which as I was saying is pretty, it's pretty good turnout for a gubernatorial. Um, it was higher than I was expecting and you know, we could theorize about why that was. Trump was in office. We had a hotly contested mayor's race. We just had a lot going on on that ballot. Um, and then if you look back at 2014, um, turnout was 53%, around 53% there. So you can see that that was, you know, much lower. It's sort of hard to gauge. Those aren't very similar numbers. So um, there's definitely been a sharp increase in, in turnout between those years. Um, and again, just thinking about what we can expect for November, 2022, um, does anyone, I know I mentioned a few, including, you know, Trump and COVID and mail-in ballots, um, local races, does anyone, can anyone think of any other kind of factors about November, 2022 that I may have missed? We should think about. People who have moved, that's a good one. 
there's going to be a senator's race as well, a senatorial race. Yeah. Uh, well, won't there be, will there be multiple elections that year? Will that affect things? Yeah, I mean, we have lots of, you know, we have, we've had the recall. Um, we've just had a lot, maybe people are sort of, I mean, I don't know, maybe they're in the habit of, of voting, maybe they're burnt out on voting. Um, could go either way there. But yes, yeah, there are multiple elections this year. We don't have like our typical June, November schedule. It's just like every week now. <laughs> and there might be another special, right? For uh, if I guess the signatures were passed or were just turned in for the recall of the DA. Mm -hmm. And that would be in November. Would that hop on a special? Do we know if that would hop on a special election or would that just get tacked on to November? I'd have to check on that. I think the DA is the sooner. It would be like March. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Then, yeah. I mean, like you said, maybe voter fatigue or confusion. Totally. All important things to consider. Um, well, yeah, no, I think that's great kind of like framing for figuring out November 2022. Um, definitely all things that may impact who, who shows up that year. Uh, Gwen, do you want to go on to the next slide? And this brings me to um, SFAN, which I absolutely love. Anyone has ever heard me talk about ban? Maybe a love-hate relationship, but I mostly love it. And this is um, this is the voter file plus a whole bunch of incredible things, including the thing that is so great about San Francisco ban is that we just have decades of legacy data from every campaign that's been run here. Um, and so we have all of that information to help us more accurately reach out to people. Um, the other thing is that, I mean, maybe one day, but we don't have, we don't have a rental registry. We don't have any record of who is a renter. And so the one thing that is really great about San Francisco van is just the superior renter and homeowner data of figuring out um, people's housing status. And that I think has been so essential in many of the campaigns that I've helped out on, whether it was, you know, right to counsel or Dean or anything that DSA does in the future. I think that, you know, renters are almost always a very, very, very poor part of our base. And so knowing that accurately um, is just super crucial. Um, there's also like a few, there's a few weird things. Like one thing that I heard recently is there was, there was a poll um, about transportation where essentially there were just differences in, for example, um, what homeowners did not like it at all. And then condo owners absolutely loved transportation and just knowing that difference, I think is super just useful in how you're crafting your, your field plan, like to know that there's just such a variation in um, the beliefs of those two different groups is just way more helpful than just having, you know, um, it's a owner and that's all you know about that person. So um, the other thing, I mean, there's a few other ways that you can kind of, you know, try to, to um, craft 
be try to target your base um, and figure out people that might um, be in support of the things that you're campaigning for. There's the Progressive Voter Index. Um, there is, um, it's called ethnic coding, which sounds much worse than it is, um, but it's just essentially how um, in Van, um, basically it's, it's matching people's names to make the best guess at race and ethnicity in there so we can more accurately target people that way. Um, and then the last thing is just sort of goes back to that decades of legacy data. Um, we just have, as Jason pointed out, um, you know, of course people move. Um, I wish people didn't move out of San Francisco, but it does happen. Uh, and we just have that information from so many other campaigns. And so I don't know if anyone's ever volunteered for a campaign where you're calling through and every number is wrong and everyone's moved and it's all different. But um, of course that happens every once in a while, but SFAN is just much cleaner on so many of those things. And um, I think that that really, you know, when we talk about races like Dean's, for example, where he won by 187 votes, like it really, really does matter to have the best data that you possibly can. And, um, and yeah, just for anyone who doesn't know what Van is, it's essentially that it's, it's manipulation of the voter file and all this additional data. Um, and again, that renter and homeowner data gets matched with the assessor file. And so that's how we have an understanding of who is a renter and who is a homeowner. Um, but that's sort of what we use to create, you know, your likely universe of voters. You can also use it to cut lists um, and create, you know, your, your walk lists that people go out and door knock with, your call lists. Um, your various programs, if you're targeting big buildings or Spanish speakers. Um, and yes, I see Gwen put Voter Action Network. Um, that, is, that is what it stands for. Thank you. But yeah, that's a little overview on VAN. And I just wanted to do a brief demo of it just so you can kind of see the interface if you haven't seen it before. Um, and this is kind of building some of the things that we just talked about, um, about turnout. And then we can kind of look at some of the numbers of people in van and see, you know, if, if our estimation is true, um, if, if we're looking at somewhere in the ballpark of say a 70% turnout, um, what, who is in that and, you know, what do we need to win and what are some of the groups that we could, um, we could reach out to, you know, who are some of the people who, you know, historically have not liked our socialist ideas, but we'll have to talk to and we'll have to find some, some middle ground. I know many people did, um, phone banking for Prop F and it was democratic women homeowners were the the swing, um, the swing group that had to be called to, to win the, the campaign. This is what the interface looks like. This is the homepage. It says welcome Avery in the corner. Um, and so to build a, and again, this is just a, a, a prediction of turnout, but to build a list, you click create new list. 
And in here, um, and this just, this here suppressions, it just removes people that it thinks um, do not have a good mailing address. But for the purposes of just looking at numbers, I always remove that because I don't want to cut anyone out accidentally. And so the way that I've done this, before, you can see in here, there's a, a number of ways that you can manipulate the data. Um, based on, you know, geographic location, their supervisor district and state senate, and you can go all the way down to precinct, there's realtor neighborhood, and then there's also, you know, in survey questions, this, this comes later, but this is, you know, will you vote for our ballot measure? Um, are you undecided? Are you a no? And then under Canvas status, there's all the information of what might happen when you have a conversation with someone. Um, they may have moved. Um, they, you know, might refuse. Hopefully, that will never happen. They tell you not to talk to them again. They have a wrong number. All of that. Um, just a variety of things. You can also sort by whether someone's a homeowner or a renter by you know the number of units in their building by um when their building was built which is how we figure out who's rent controlled and not uh all of that um i think there's even a option in here to sort by zodiac sign so if you wanted to know how many scorpios there are <laughs> in san francisco you could figure that out too but I'm going to go down here to voting history, which is important to what we're discussing now. And the way that I would do this is, you know, after kind of thinking through, you know, it's both an art and a science, but I'm just kind of saying that, you know, we, we looked at the past elections, 53% in 2014 is pretty low. And then we had the 75% turnout in 2018. That is probably a little bit high because of all the factors that we talked about. And so when I'm doing this, I'm looking for a number that's somewhere in the ballpark of, you know, probably somewhere between 65 and 70%. Um, but we'll see if we can get to that number based on looking through voter history. And so the first thing that I'll do um, is just go back to the last election that we had or the last major election that we had which is um which is the 2020 general and so i'm going to include everyone who voted in the 2020 general and so i don't know if you can see can you see the number on the side um 417,000 people. Um, again, that was a super, super high turnout election. Uh, obviously, it was a pre presidential year. And then the next thing I'm going to do, and you can play around with this a little on your own, and I would say that I just magically predicted the turnout. But um, what I'm going to do next is basically select a few other elections that I think would be important to include as a basis of knowing who's going to vote in the next election. And the reason for that is, you know, um, I think 
having having voter history goes into you know knowing if someone is a reliable voter. Um, it shows that someone has voted in a couple elections. They've been here. They're plugged in. They're invested in what's going on. And so I'm going to try here. I'm going to say if somebody voted in any of the following elections, I'm going to consider them a pretty decent voter. And so I'm going to do the 2020 primary, the 2019 general, and the 2018 general, because that shows me they voted in, in a presidential year, which many people do. And then they also voted in a, you know, slightly less major election. And let's see what we get from that. So I'm going to say any of the following and then do 2019 general, 2018 general, and 2020 primary. And that brings us to 321,000 voters. And just to get what that is, that's about a 63% turnout that we're at right now. Um, and the one thing that um, the one thing that you should also add in here, um, and for any likely universe, is anyone who newly registered. So anyone that registered after the November 2020 election, they may have recently moved here, but they obviously, you know, registered, and we're going to give them a chance that they're going to vote in their first election after registering. So I'm also gonna add those people in. Okay. And so adding that in, that brings us to 349,000 voters. Um, we divide that by the number of registered voters in San Francisco. We're at 69% turnout for the November, 2022 election. And so I'm just going to use that. Of course, there are like more things you could do to manipulate it. But I think that that, that bears out as like a, a rough estimation of who we think will be included in, in our upcoming election. Cool. Um, and then just, I think this is self-explanatory, but just in terms of um, finding your win number, that's... That's 50% of your expected turnout plus one. And then our, and then that's our formula there for finding your ID goal. But I think that's more specific to a, a smaller race where like a supervisor's race, um, we don't have to get into that for, for, for a candidate or for a ballot measure. Um, and then I wanted to touch on this a little bit, um, just on who can be reached with field. And so when we were going through, when we built that likely universe and we got to the end of it and we have 350,000 voters um, who we think are likely to turn out for the November 22 elect, 2022 election, um, I just wanted to talk about just the different ways of reaching voters. And for example, in, in that universe, we have 221,000 doors. And of course, um, you know, not all of those doors are gonna be knockable. I know this is something that we encountered 
on on Dean's campaign is that there were, you know, clusters of big buildings that were just impossible to get to. And again, this was so frustrating because I think, you know, so many of the people that we wanted to talk to that we were pretty sure um, would be on our side were just impossible to get to because, you know, you're standing there and you're ringing a buzzer and people think you're trying to get to another apartment. And I mean, I know I don't really answer my door and so I get it, but that can be incredibly frustrating because, you know, sometimes the most knockable doors are in more homeowner dense areas. And so I think that's just something to consider that not every door can be reached by field or it's incredibly difficult. And the same is true for phones, just SF Van does have really great data. And I know we've kind of improved upon it and you know gotten more phone numbers, but the issue with phones too is that so many people, especially if they've lived in San Francisco for a long time, just haven't updated their voter registration. And so whatever phone number is on there is from like 20 years ago and it's not even relevant anymore. And so um, that's one thing, one thing that's frustrating is that not every person has their current contact info or not every person, you know, registers to vote and puts down their phone number either. And then within this, just within that universe that I created, um, there's only about a hundred thousand phone numbers that are textable. And those are the ones that we verified our, our cell phone numbers. And then there's 177,000 emails. And so just, just thinking about this, um, when we're building our, our programs of, you know, door knocking and big buildings and phone banking, like trying to figure out if we're leaving any voters on the table and just not contacting them in any way and how we can reach those people. Gwen, can you jump to the next slide? Great. Um, and then also in building out a field plan, um, it's really interesting, but contact rates are very constant in my experience. Um, it's really interesting. For, for doors, we, we found that it was somewhere around 15%. 15% um, of the, the doors that we knocked on, someone would, someone would open the door. And that, of course, was that was on the first pass of knocking on doors. Um, on Dean's campaign, we did this, I think, about 10 times. So by the 10th pass, people were, there's diminishing returns there. And then for phones, it was around a 10% contact rate. I've heard from other campaigns that that changed over COVID and it increased. I think people were more willing to chat, um, were, you know, wanting to connect with people. I think people just got more used to, you know, Zooms and phone calls. And so maybe our behavior has changed, but historically it has been a little bit less than, than doors. Um, the one thing that we do have um, in terms of reaching people is mail. And so I know that, um, you know, not everyone in van will have a knockable door. Not everyone will have a textable number. Not everyone will have a callable phone, but everyone has an address where you can, where they're registered to vote, where you can send them something. And so when we think about those pockets of say big buildings where 
those are our voters. If we can just get our message to them, I think it's important to consider that that is a way of reaching people as well. And then this, um, again, this isn't getting down into the specifics of building out what each of the programs were, would look like, but I wanted to, I know we're coming up on, on doing a ballot measure um, with DSA, and I wanted to kind of put together some numbers of within that turnout universe that we just created, what it looks like for specific groups. And so I put, um, I put homeowners and renters in there. And so there's 157,000 homeowners and about 181,000 renters in the thing that we just created. And I think this is important to know too, because given the contact rate that we've experienced, say, at the doors, we know that we're not going to be able to get to everyone by field. And so I think it's just important to consider that, you know, what it takes to win a campaign is can sometimes be different than, um, you know, what you need to do to just base build. And, you know, we've experienced this with a couple of campaigns where like, for example, um, we're working in Pasadena right now and doing a rent control campaign. And I know that, um, you know, the campaign really wants to, you know, do base building for their tenants union, which I think is incredible and should absolutely happen. But just looking at the numbers and looking at what the contact rate is, you know, you have to talk to homeowners, you have to talk to people who might not necessarily align with your base building message in order to get enough people on your side to win the campaign. And just kind of expanding on that, I just threw a couple other numbers in here and I'm happy to go over more of them too, but I know there was, I can't remember what it was, but I know there was some poll about what you think of democratic socialism and it was just overwhelmingly popular specifically in the under 40 age group. And so just thinking about a, a DSA measure, looking at the number of voters that we have that fall into that group in our November, 2022 universe. Um, I put in the rent controlled tenants that we have there. And then PVI stands for progressive voter index. So just getting a sense of, of how many people, you know, have been identified as more progressive leaning voters. And then speaking again to kind of like the way that we might have to build out some of these programs, I put in big buildings that have more than 10 units because I know that those can be challenging to get into just in running a field program. And there's about 71,000 voters that fall into that category. So I think thinking about either, you know, whether it's male, whether it's we did a dedicated field program um, that was parallel to also doing mail um, to try to get into these buildings, but we can't just treat every household like, you know, it has a lawn that we can walk up to. Not that anyone has that in San Francisco. Um, but yeah. Um, there was a question in the chat, which I was actually going to ask too, which is sort of how do you build the progressive voter index score? That is, it was created by, I have to look up the name of the person that created it again, but um, it's just a, it's a basket of past 
elections that have happened. Um, and I'm, I'm happy to send around the methodology, but sort of similar to, to what we're doing now. And I think what um, SFAN doesn't have their own progressive voter index, but um, you know, you can, if someone, you know, voted for, um, you know, an environmental issue and a tenants rights issue and whatever else you can sort of like make an assumption that maybe they would be um, persuadable to your issue as well. Yeah. And then the last thing was just um, building out a field plan. Um, I know that this is what makes the most sense in my brain that I always love to do, but um, it's, you know, starting with, with what your field goals are and sort of working backwards from that and coming up with a, a breakdown of based on what you know you have to do, what does that mean on a monthly basis? What does that mean on a weekly basis? What does that mean on a daily basis? And so um, every campaign I've worked on will have like a daily goal of the number of people that you have to convince, the number of people you have to identify as supporters for your campaign. Um, and I think that that's a helpful way um, when, we, when we actually get into the weeds and you know have a have a campaign that we're getting off the ground. I think that's a really helpful way, both just for accountability, um, but also I don't know. I think it's I think it's a, a hopeful way of looking at things too, because you can see really how possible it is to win a campaign if you just commit to the field plan that you have before you, instead of thinking like we need like you know we need. 200,000 votes, that's crazy. But if you're just thinking about it in manageable chunks, it really, really is possible. And um, again, I'll, I'll build that in with, with the contact rates that we all talked about. So you can see, you know, like it goes down to the level of like, if you, you know, if you talk to this many voters and 10% of them are home and 1% of them um, say never call me again, and 1% of them have moved, and, you know, 75% of those people are yeses, which is how we build all of our scripts to, to work, and um, it's very interesting because when there's, this doesn't happen very often, but every once in a while someone will come back with, you know, a list from phone banking or door knocking, and you can just tell when it's not true because the numbers are so off. Um, like someone will say, you know, I talked to half of the people out there and, you know, maybe on some, maybe on some planet, but it usually doesn't happen. They've been pretty stable in, in our experience. 